0: Would you take your Bible and turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 through 8, and verses 24 to 31. When I was a teenager, a man looked at me at a New Year's Eve party and just simply said, God bless you, Hayes. That's all he said. It was in that moment that God triggered in my heart a conviction of sin and a need for Christ as Savior. And I was born again as that new year came in. I remember Billy Graham saying over and over again, particularly at the end of a broadcast God bless you, real good. Real good. And indeed, kind of blessing, industrial strength blessing. In the Old Testament, when the word blessing is used, it's usually in the intensive form, meaning real good, over-the-top good, all that you need good, and that's what Jacob prayed for, and so would you stand as we read the word together, either listen or read or just pray as we read. Genesis 32, verse 1. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim. Then he sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, thus you shall say to my lord Esau... Thus says your servant, Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. That's quite a bodyguard. Look at verse 24. What happened next? Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. (laughs) When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the, da- the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. You may be seated. Jacob was a con artist. After deceitfully getting his father's blessing, his daddy was blind, and he pretended to be Esau. Esau, of course, was fighting mad and wanted to get even. So Jacob skipped town for about 20 years and went out and in all kinds of uh, ins and outs. Finally, God promised him that if he would go home again, the Lord would prosper him. And so he decided to take his entire caravan of people and animals back to meet his estranged brother. He sent a messenger of appeasement with him, all kinds of gifts, and he stayed behind waiting for the big showdown. High noon at the Jabbok. And as he was there alone, the Bible says an unidentified man wrestled with him. Perhaps he thought this was an assassin from Esau. And all night long they wrestled. The Hebrew word wrestle means to roll around in the dust. It was intense. And Jacob was praying, but he was asking and pleading for a blessing. He wanted to prevail. He thought if in his strength he could pin this man down, he would get a blessing. Now, obviously, we say this is really unusual very mysterious. Who was this unusual wrestler of the night? The old Jewish rabbis said it was Jacob's guardian angel. Imagine a guy who's such a jerk that he's mugged by his guardian angel. <laughs> and yet he called him God, as did Hosea many years later. I believe this was what is called a Christophany a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself, Lord Jesus. Now, Jacob didn't know that, but he finally came back and said, I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. You say, well, Hayes, what is blessing anyway? This may not be very theologically nuanced, but I, I personally believe it's blessing when God gives his favor and help for whatever we need. Now notice that, for whatever we need, whenever we need it, and that he may get the glory because of his goodness to us. We have been in a, in a study that I've entitled, whatever. Just one word, Whatever. We have seen each week that as these messages build upon each other, today I want you to think of this. Whatever brokenness is required for God's blessing, wrestle for it. Whatever it takes, whatever it means, wrestle God for it until you see the answer. That's why Jesus said, That in prayer and in seeking the Lord, it's always in the continuous tense, keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on going to the Lord. It is hard. It is a wrestling match for sure. But God invariably is seeking to use blessedness because of brokenness. And so I want you to see God's wrestling moves whatever it takes. Now quite I have to be honest with you. Well, I'm always honest with you. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? It's like saying, "Well, this is the first time I'm going to be honest." I, I tend to want a big blessing with little suffering. Right? I want a closer walk with God, I want a better opportunity to serve Him, but without sharper nails and heavier crosses. Aren't you sort of like that too? But blessing requires wrestling. So let's look at God's wrestling moves. First, in brokenness, God uses crises so that blessings might come. And you particularly see that in this chapter in verses 6 and 7. Jacob really wanted to be right with his brother. He did not have expectation for it. He wrestled with God all night long for a blessing. Now, as you well know, I had a near-death experience with COVID and pneumonia two years ago. I've had that since twice. And in the spring, he went right to my vocal cords. And so I'm asking you to pray for me and bear with me with my voice. I'm praying that I may sing once again of the goodness of the Lord. Now, Jacob was big on blessing. He tried to get the blessing from his father. And his dad deceitfully, unknowingly gave it to him. That's what made Esau want to get even. He like the pro-wrestlers today, which I believe is soap opera for adults, he was a strutting wrestler on the stage of his own life. He was a person who always seemed to scheme and outwit his opponents, including even his uncle Laban, who then got even with him. He could not win, though, against this divine wrestler. I want you to know that God uses our disappointments, failures, weaknesses, and disabilities to bring us into crisis situations. Now, you've got to remember, God uses our disabilities to manifest His ability. I think of the prayer of Jabez. I'm turning over to 1 Chronicles chapter 4 verses 9 and 10. Now, a few years ago, a famous book came out. I'm sure you could find it at Goodwill somewhere. The prayer of Jabez was very, very popular. You could get a Jabez coffee mug, doormat, whatever. And many began to see this as a sort of mantra for the prosperity gospel. That God will bless you if you'll just do this and this and this. But I think this prayer has been wounded in the house of its friends. I began praying this prayer years ago, even in my own heart. Let me read it. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Now this is right in the middle of a genealogy. And his mother named him Jabez, saying, Because I bore him with pain. Now Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, that it may not pain him. And God granted to him what he requested. <laughs> now, I, I'm not going into a study of this prayer. But I want you to notice that he prayed that God, with passion, that's what, when the word, oh, Is mentioned. It's always a picture of burning passion. Oh, God, that you would bless me. Indeed. There's that intensive sense. Indeed. And this blessing is culminated in what Jacob says: oh, that I would be kept from harm and that it would not pain me. Now that sounds wimpy and unrealistic, doesn't it? But Here's what he was praying. The very word meaning of pain is being carved in the image of that pain. He did not want to be defined by his disabilities. It was not who he was. Though when he was born, his mother named him Jabez. Now normally the father would, so he probably grew up in a single-parent home. And because she bore him in pain, it could be that it was a very difficult delivery. Perhaps it hurt her long term, but it very well could have been uh, a problem with the umbilical cord wrapped in such a way that his brain was injured or that some other disability physically occurred, so that every time he was sent on an errand, every time he was called to lunch, his name was mentioned as a reminder of his disability. Every time he would go and play with someone, they say, oh, it's Jabez again. He did not want to be a person who saw life as a closed door and a lost blessing. Life as a fist instead of an open hand. The icicles of cynicism could have dripped from this man's heart and soul, and we would have understood. We said, oh God, bless me indeed that I may not be defined in the image of that pain. God uses those pains to push us into this kind of prayer and indeed kind of blessing. But in the church age that we live in we so rarely think of this we say we want revival but revival can be can break out only when we as christians are broken down we we hear oh we want to see revival break out But it's really so many times like we're rededicating our lives. We are sort of trying to add something here or fix something there. It's like doing a total makeover, redecorating a mole-filled house after a hurricane. You've got to strip that thing. It's got to be changed and broken. And that's why my old English friend, Roy Hessian, who wrote the wonderful book in the 50s, Calvary Road, said revival is not so much the top blowing off as it is the bottom falling out. In other words, when we hit bottom, it's really the hollow of God's hand. And that's the crisis. The very word breaking in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament had the meaning of pulverizing, of crushing. In Psalm 31, 12. So that God crushes us. And in that crushing, the pieces are somehow then used to carve us in the image of Christ, not the image of our pain. That's why David being broken over his sin in Psalm 51 cried out in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. That word "contrite" means to be crushed in your sorrow, Crushed in your guilt. And I believe that God allows that to bring revival. I, I have seen God do that in not only lives of individuals but churches. When I pastored in a little county seat ranch town in western Oklahoma near the border of Texas, Mangum, Oklahoma, First Baptist Church, county seat town. It was pretty dry for a while, just like the dust outside. And one day, true revival began. I was up there preaching, and all of a sudden, I started getting choked up, uh, some allergies and, you know, that stuff I've dealt with for a long time. And at that very moment, Dr. Herb Lineberg, the most respected doctor in town, got up, walked up onto the platform, and very gently pushed me to the side and began to speak. And he asked the church to forgive him for his part in firing the last pastor. (laughs) And he began to weep. Others began to cry. And people began to confess their sins. I never did get to preach. (laughs) God preached. And not long after that, I was trying to preach on a Sunday night when we had those kind of services, which is what is called a marathon for a pastor. And on Sunday night, I'm trying to preach when all of a sudden, the vice chairman of the deacons, Charlie Davis, got up and ran down the aisle, yelling out, I'm lost! I'm lost! And he fell on his knees on a front pew. And I stopped and preached and led him to Christ. Others came to the Lord we saw real revival break down and then break out. But here's the second big idea. In brokenness, God crucifies self so that Christ might be supreme. You see that in verses 27 and 28. As they wrestled, Jacob, by the way, means deceitful one. (laughs) Talk about a name. Heel snatcher, literally. When he was born in the womb, he was clinging to the heel of his older brother Esau who came out first. And so he was named Jacob, heel snatcher, meaning deceitful one. How would you like to name your baby that? And all of his life, he fulfilled that very name, always trying to get more. He had a chokehold on whatever he wanted. Now, there's two things I want you to think about. One is the self-life must go. Again, the Hebrew word crushed or broken, as in Psalm 31:12, means to lose yourself as well as to be crushed. The self-life that is high treason and mutiny against holy God has to go. Now, Jacob's life was one of manipulation, conning, scheming. And so when he heard about the 400 men, you know, this group of uh, mercenaries that Esau had hired, they were coming to meet him. He crafted a plan. He sent half of his caravan over one direction, the other half, and the other, that if he was attacked, maybe one of them would survive. He then sent servants with a number of gifts of animals. You see that in Genesis 32, 13, 14, 15. He said, I will appease him, verse 20. In other words, I'm going to buy him off. And then his servants were in a fawning way to say, Your servant Jacob to my Lord Esau. And then, when he did meet him in chapter 33, Jacob bowed seven times before he ever met Esau. He thought, I've got a plan, I've got a scheme here, I'm going to make this happen. You know, we hate to give up our lives without a fight. And invariably, our idea is fix it. Either run from it or fix it. We'll do anything but trust God. And that's why the issue of the self-life is in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You cannot execute yourself, but you can confirm what Christ has done on the cross. You can choose by faith to say, Lord, when you died, I died. When you're born again, when you're saved, as the Bible calls it, you have counted on Christ's credit As your righteousness, you have trusted in his death for your present life so that the old self-life is in an ongoing process of being crucified. Now, if that's hard to understand, it's hard to live out, too. But it's an ongoing process of taking up the cross. Not that you crucify yourself, but that you are accepting what Christ has done. And trusting him. You confirm that sentence of death. And choose it. Now, the self life must go. But the Christ life must flow. You've got to become a riverbed before you're a river. Jesus had said in uh, John seven thirty eight Of the Holy Spirit. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Isn't that great? Not just a a fountain, but a river of blessing. And I want to ask you, has there been such a time when he has filled and flooded and flowed through your life to be a channel of blessing for people? But see, if you have a clogged up riverbed, you can't have a flowing river. We have all this muck that clogs the flowing of the river for the Christ life to flow through us. It's got to die. And Jacob, the ultimate example of the con man, a phony wrestler, a strutting star in his own life, pollution had to go. Now, look in, if you look over at chapter 32 of Genesis, verse 12, after he had prayed, Deliver me, O God, in verse 11, For he said, for you said to God, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. God promised Abraham that. God promised Isaac and Jacob that. And he's he's realizing that for God's higher, greater, longer purpose to be fulfilled, something's got to change in his life. Something has to change. He's got to have the blessing of God. And fortunately, as the self-life is getting, is getting out of the way, he said this in verse 10, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. He was beginning to understand humility. But the next wrestling move had to take place. Third, in brokenness, God uses desperation so that faith might win. And as they wrestle finally, the divine wrestler dislocated his thigh uh, basically at the hip joint. It was out of joint, dislocated, so that no longer could Jacob fight but cling. Psalm 46:10 says in the New American standard Version, Cease striving and know that I am God. The old translation says, be still and know that I am God. And the very next verse speaks about the God of Jacob, who is our refuge, stronghold. The God of Jacob, the deceitful one, had to stop striving, trying to win, and cling. I tend to not want to cling. I tend to want to use some kind of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on God. And if I can make this leverage work and this do this thing for God, then God is going to he's bound to bless. But Psalm 63:8 says this. My soul clings to you. Your righteous hand upholds me. It was that clinging faith that Jacob said the most significant thing in this text. I will not let you go until you bless me. Whatever it takes, I'm hanging in there. I may not be able to fight, but I'm going to cling. I got to know Dr. Louis Drummond some years ago, president of one of our seminaries, who wrote a wonderful book on some of these things. And he tells how Young Billy Graham, 28 years old, was preaching in Wales. It was the beginning of his international ministry. He was very flamboyant. He was preaching in a pink suit. He told a lot of jokes for about a 20-minute sermon. And during that sermon, an old Welsh Christian stood up and rebuked him in public for his shallowness. Whew. Well, my, my friend, of Dr. Stephen Olford, heard about that, who spoke when I was pastor here in town at the opening of our relocated property. Stephen Olford, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. And Stephen spent time, he's English, he spent time with Billy and talked to him about brokenness, repentance, surrender, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And after a long time of wrestling and struggling with Billy's flesh and with his desire to be somebody and do something great, here's what he finally prayed. Oh, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. Fill me with your spirit right now. And suddenly, there was a breakthrough. He was filled with the spirit of God. And he said, I am filled. This is the turning point of my life. And it was. It was. But what will it take for us to be desperate? That faith might win. To be sick and tired of being sick and tired. To stop fighting and cling. And then forth, in brokenness, we confess our nat- our nature so that our eyes might be open. You see that in verses 27, 28. The Lord asked Jacob, what is your name? My name is Jacob. The Holy Spirit was convicting him that his very name represented who he was and what he was. The very name Jacob. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. The heart is a Jacob. Jacob. His eyes were opening. Now, I I, I think about some historical figures that we can learn from. President John F. Kennedy. He had a degenerative back problem and Addison's disease. And most of us in America didn't know how bad he was. But he had to wear a very stiff back brace. And on that morning, November 1963 as he rode through an open car in Dallas. And the assassin fired those bullets. Or assassins. I don't know. But Lee Harvey Oswald was certainly one of them, or the man. And the first bullet hit Kennedy in the neck. But because his back brace held him erect, He was a perfect target for the second shot, which hit his head and killed him. We tend to brace up our righteousness. We tend to do everything we can to resist breaking and wrestling because we want an easier way. God calls this being (laughs) stiff-necked. A braced neck. Here's what he said. Jeremiah 19:15 they have stiffened their necks so as not to heed my words. But we can also learn from biblical characters like Job. All through the book of Job, for instance in some I mean in Job 32:1 27:6 23:4 32:1 let me tell you what Job did in all of the suffering he was going through. His most Prized possession was his righteous reputation. And when his three so-called friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, came not to confront, not to comfort, but confront, they accused him of being sick and losing his family and all of his property because there was sin in his life. Listen to what Job said. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. I will enter, order my cause before God and fill my mouth with arguments. He lawyered up with God. And we can spend a lifetime of litigation with God trying to make him think we deserve his blessings and that we are really, really righteous no matter what others say. Job 32, 1. Job was righteous in his own eyes. That's what he was defending until finally God showed him how awesomely powerful he was. He said, I repent and retract in dust and ashes. No longer can you say my righteousness. It's his. And we wrestle And when we're broken of that righteous pretense, then that blessing can flow. And then lastly, brokenness is when God transforms identity so that change might happen. Someone's in charge. God named him Israel, meaning the Lord rules, prevails. And now, you know, Christianity is counterintuitive when we die, we live. When we lose, we win. When we surrender, we get victory. And when Jacob finally clung to God, admitted who he was, then God said, listen, I'm going to change your name. Change your life. I'm going to be Lord of your life. Romans eleven thirty six. 36 For all things are of him, through him, and to him. To him, Jesus be the glory forever. He's the source, the force, and the course, as an old preacher used to say. He is Lord. And then something has changed. He limped into camp. After a long night of wrestling, mud in his hair, clothes torn. And his wife said, Jake. What happened to you? He said, I just got blessed. Who beat you up? I met the Lord face to face. You can call me Israel. Something had changed. And finally, the last time we see, Hebrews eleven twenty one 21, notes that just before he died, he worshiped leaning on his staff. Why? He had an evident limp the rest of his life because he had learned to lean on the Lord. There was a tremendous revival in Wales at the turn of the last century, early 1900s. It was such a powerful move of God that the mules stopped working in the mines because the miners no longer cussed at them. Bars shut down crime stopped churches were filled people were singing all day long in praise what a revival but the instrument of that was Evan Roberts who had prayed again and again for years Lord bend me He didn't say break me but he said bend me that he might bow before God. Someone said Evan how how can you? Persevere for so long like that. He said, You will never cease to seek after that which consumes you. My old friend Wesley Duell, who's a marvelous, godly Wesleyan Methodist, was in our church some years ago. And he told me personally the story of how he was in Wales some years back and met the two remaining brothers who had been part of the youth group when the revival began, 84 and 86 years old. They took him to the little church where Evan Roberts asked the pastor if he could meet with the youth group. They had 17 kids. So he reluctantly agreed. Evan got the 17 in a room and then locked the door. He made them all sit on the front row. Now, nobody had given him pastoral instructions on how to do this thing right. So he said, he went to one after another. He said, All right, stand up. Repeat after me. Lord, I confess my sins. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Now sit down. He went one by one again, the second time, and then the third time. And when finally, the third time around, he had them say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and fill me with your spirit. A young man broke down crying and weeping, confessing his sins. And revival broke out. And one of the old Welshmen said to Dr. Duell, that's when the fire fell. And that's where I was, he said, When the fire fell, pointing to that seat. Would you bow your heads, please, in prayer? Wouldn't you love to be where and when the fire falls? I was there. It happened to me. But you don't have to wait for anybody else. You draw a circle around yourself and say, God, bring revival to this circle. God has taken me through many times of brokenness in my life. He's probably not through. But there needs to be a beginning time when you come to an end of yourself. Oh, God, have your way with us. We confess our sins. We long for your blessing on this church, on our families, on us, oh God. Carve us in the image of Christ. Lord, your will be done. And right now we pray, God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would look to the cross and the open tomb and believe. Lord, help our unbelief. When we struggle with stiff-necked pride, help us to hear your voice and obey you. Lord, save that one today. Take the rest of us, God, into a time of wrestling and breaking that we might have your blessing.